All right, we're going we're gonna to read from Mark. This is um, talking about the death of John the Baptist. Starting with verse 14. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus, uh, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask, I will give you, up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in and immediately with haste to the king, and she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oath and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Thanks, Isaac. So we're in Mark chapter 6, talking about Herod the Antipas and the beheading of John the Baptist. What we're talking about is a moment of indecision. So the title for our sermon today is Good News for the Indecisive. I don't know if you've ever been in a point in your life where you were faced with a big decision that was a spiritual battle. And so we want to talk about it, how we get in these moments of indecision. It's the first question that we're going to look at this text. And then what to do. So how to be a decisive person. But thirdly, why decisiveness is not enough. Why strong decisions aren't enough. For a little bit of context to how this can apply to our lives today. Um, when I was in high school, I remember very well being 17 in my senior year in high school, and I had a best friend, his name was Joel, and Joel and I were playing two sides of life. We were going to church, serving in our youth group. We served in a bus ministry that our church had, picking kids up for church. But we were also living in a much of the rest of the week or on the weekend, like all the other teenagers our age. 
we weren't living this full-out life for Jesus. We were, um, we were, tr we were going through girlfriends, and we were uh, giving our money into things we shouldn't have, and a lot of other things. And I remember one moment, Joel and I had a conversation, one of those all-night ping-pong games that you play when you're 17. We were in his basement playing ping-pong, and we started talking about what it would look like if we decided to give every moment and every decision to Jesus and just served him 100% with our lives. Because we knew, we were playing both sides of the fence, living like the world sometimes, living like God would want us to sometimes. And it was a bit of a scary thought to us. It was sort of a mental game of imagining what that would be like to serve the Lord with our whole hearts. And um, that night, I don't think that either of us decided, but we were at this period in our lives of spiritual indecision. So spiritual indecision, how does it happen in our lives? Well, basically, it is where our current worldview and values that we hold come into conflict sovereignly with God and his thoughts. So to give the context here with Herod, if you look at verse 20, um, so basically Herod's new wife, Herodias, who was the recently divorced wife of his brother, half-brother Philip, was encouraging him to kill John the Baptist. John the Baptist, some of you might know him if you grew up uh, in uh, reading other religious texts. For example, the Quran calls him Yahya. So if you've heard of Yahya, then you know who John the Baptist was. So this prophet, John the Baptist, was openly preaching against this marriage, that it was against the law of Moses for a man to marry his brother's wife. And so this woman, Herodias, wanted him dead. Herod didn't want him dead because he feared him. Look what it says here in verse 20. It said, Herod feared John. This word feared is the word phobio, where we get our word phobia. You have arachnophobia. You have all sorts of phobias. Herod had a John phobia. He had a prophet phobia. He was afraid of what might happen to him if he took action against John. It said he feared him in verse 20 because he knew that he was righteous and holy. These two words, righteous, righteous comes with the idea of him being without blame. So he knew he couldn't kill him on a legal basis. But beyond being without blame, he was also holy. So this is a higher level. So this man was set apart to God. He was a man that, according to God, was approved. And he knew that he was speaking in place of God to him. So he knew John was a righteous and holy man, and he says, so he kept him safe. And it says, when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed. This word perplexed means that he didn't, the, the translation or the definition is to be at loss with oneself, to be in doubt, to not know which way to turn. So on one hand, he was listening to his new wife Herodias saying, kill this man. On another hand, he was listening to the words of John the Baptist, and he was perplexed. He did not know which way to go, and he stopped in this moment of indecision and did not decide. And this is what, 
This is a tragedy. The story is a tragedy. It's not a tragedy about John who lost his head, but it's a tragedy about Herod. It says at the end, yet in verse 20, yet he heard him gladly. So Herod brought John out every day to preach at him. Now, I'm preaching to a group of people, so this is very, sometimes this is very difficult to apply because you may think, I'm not currently going through any spiritual point of indecision. Maybe you remember a time when you did. Maybe you will face a time in the future, but maybe you're not going through one right now. Herod was in the middle of one, and John would come out and preach to him, one person, every day. He would preach the same sermon, and Herod liked it. Why do you think Herod liked the sermon? Well, Herod's whole life had been surrounded with one worldview. So Herod Antipas was his full name. He was the son of Herod the Great. And Herod the Great was, if you remember, he was found in the Bible by, he was the king who tried to kill Jesus when Jesus was first born. Two years after Jesus was born, they went to Egypt because Herod the Great killed all the babies that were under the age of two trying to kill this future king that he heard about who had been born in Bethlehem. So Herod the Great was a powerful man who became friends with Caesar. He became, and he was a Jew. So Herod the Great was an Edomite, which are Jordanians today. So just south of Israel, they had been conquered centuries earlier by the Jews, and they had become Jews. So Herod was a Jewish person who had learned the political power system. And he had become master of making friends with the politicians in Rome and friends with the religious in Jerusalem. And he knew how to play both sides of the game. And the whole worldview of, of the Herods, this was not just one person named Herod, it was a whole line of people named Herod. The whole worldview of the Herod could be summed up like this. You are shrewd and wise, and you have figured out life when you know that everyone is out for power and position. They might use money the way Rome does with their armies conquering lands and extracting taxes, or they might use religion, like the Pharisees and the powerful people in Jerusalem. And if you can learn to play both sides, then you are a wise man. And if you can get that power over both, then you can get anything you want, and nobody can say anything to you. In fact, they'll tell you everything you want to hear because of how powerful you have become. You can have any woman you want, you can have all the money you want, you can throw all the parties you want, and you will be respected because you learned the system of power of this world. I was talking at the homecoming on Friday to a Lebanese friend, a uh, new friend named Mohammed, and he was telling me, in his view, religion is all about power, people getting power over other people. This is what Herod knew. Herod not only did he know how to have power with the people in Rome because of gathering taxes from the Jews, but he also knew how to make the Jews happy. So he built part of the second temple in Jerusalem. He re reinforced and built the walls around Jerusalem. And all of the powerful religious people in Jerusalem praised Herod because he was on their side. He was this wise and shrewd man. Not to mention the fact that he could cut off anybody's head at a moment that he thought it was expedient for him. So he passed this mentality down to his sons. Now he had 12 sons with five 
women. And three of those sons, Herod the Great had killed because of, he figured they were trying to get his power. One of the sons that he had killed, his daughter's name, or his, this was a granddaughter of Herod, was named Herodias. And so upon killing her father, he betrothed this young girl to her uncle, Philip. When Herodias knew that a more powerful uncle than Philip, her present husband, was Herod, who had become king of Galilee, or leader of Galilee, she divorced him and convinced Herod to marry her. So as you can tell, this is a messed up family. I don't know if you come from a messed up family, but you probably don't come from a family that's that messed up. This is a very messed up family, but every family comes with a set of values that they're passing down from generation to generation. We can either pass down generational righteousness or we can pass down generational sin. Herod grew up in this generational sin and values that were very ungodly. He had idol pushers in his life. Now, the Herods didn't have actual idols. They didn't have statues that they built, that they worshipped. I don't know if you have ever seen statues that people worship, but today we have idols that we don't worship that are made of gold and wood and things like that, but we have idols of the heart. And Herod had idols of the heart. And he had pushers of idols, and Herodias was one of those in his life. But when he heard John the Baptist, he got in this, there was this moment of spiritual indecision. Here was a man who was not afraid to tell him the truth, even if it meant death for John the Baptist. And this totally rocked Herod's world because he thought that religion was something that people use. He didn't think that somebody was really like this, who really believed what he was saying enough that without fear of anybody, he would preach this message to Herod. In fact, Herod was full of fear. And we're going to see that. He was afraid of everything and everybody. He got to the top of the power chain in his world, and he was afraid of losing it. But here's, the, here's a preacher with no power who is afraid of nothing, who will tell Herod that the marriage that you have with Herodias is illegal. And he liked to hear it. But he's questioning and he's wondering, what's the angle of John the Baptist? What's he really getting at? So what causes then spiritual moments or times of indecision for you? Well, it could be a sermon. You might come to a church and you might hear God's word opened and explained. And ideally, this would cause many moments of spiritual indecision where our worldview is being confronted by God. It could be by a nagging thought that won't go away. And that's the Spirit of God bringing to you a thought that goes against the worldview that you're currently operating by. It could be a parent who's, who, who loves the Lord who's telling you and talking to you and begging you to see and open your mind to God's ways. If you're a parent that's raising children, you're going to do a lot of this conversations, or we should do a lot of these conversations for with our kids from the time they're small, where we confront their worldviews, 
these ways that they're, our kids are constantly trying to figure out the world, right? How does it work? How do you get what you want? How can you be happy? How do you get power? How do you, Luke was just telling me the other day that if you leave a little kid to himself, they're the most violent group of people in the world, right? That's the way it is in Warrendale, at least he told me about it. Kids are trying to figure out how the world works and how to get power. That's why the most vicious group of people in the world, I think, are junior high girls, right? Because they will mob you. They will destroy you, maybe boys as well. Because they're trying to figure out, how do I get power? How do I get position? How do I get, well, when you get older and you think, how do I get money? Because then you learn what the good of money is. And so as we grow up in this world, we are looking for how does the world work and how do I get on top of it? God's ways are going to come up as Luke read Philippians for us. And he's going to show us the way that John the Baptist did. The way up is down. The way to get honor is by dishonoring yourself and taking the role of a servant. The way to get riches is by giving it away. These are the ways of God. And when they come to you, they shock you and they cause you to not know which way to go. And they force you to consider. Herod was in this position. If you don't know Jesus today and you're here and you've not given your heart completely to God through Christ, then the door to the Christian life is made up of a moment like this. The door to the Christian life is made up of a moment where God is confronting you with the wrong worldview you have and bringing you to him. If you're a Christian, then you're being sanctified through many of these moments where your worldview is constantly being confronted by God and his word. And how you grow is going to determine how you respond to these spiritually indecisive moments. So the first question is how do indecisive moments happen? And the second question I want to consider is how can we be decisive? How can we not stay in these moments and not do what Herod did at this time? First of all, recognize that these moments in your life are a gift. What, what I find amazing about this passage is that Herod was, seemed like the Spirit of God was working in Herod's heart for these moments. Herodias, on the other, on the other hand, had apparently zero conscience going on. She was not at all being drawn by the words of John the Baptist as, as he was pointing toward holiness and righteous living. She was completely opposed to it. She wanted to very, what you could say, uh, pro poetically, cut off the head of the prophet. She wanted that to happen at any moment, as soon as possible. She was using to, willing to use everything she could, even her own daughter, who was Herod's great niece, performing some dance in front of Herod to make that happen. So there are many people around you that may not have a sensitive heart to God's word and to his will. So if you are feeling a moment of spiritual indecisiveness, recognize that as a gift from God, because that is God working in your life. If you are our kids are here with us today, so if you're Caleb's age, about to turn 12, right? Or Ryan's age, six, seven, six. This period of your life, 
you will have, hopefully, a sensitive heart to God's word. And you should know something, guys, especially the kids. There may never be a time in your life where your heart will be quite as sensitive to God as it is right now if you don't respond to his word. So these moments of spiritual indecision are gifts from God because it's showing that the Holy Spirit of God is working in your heart. Secondly is you need to do some work to identify what the heart idols are. So one uh, counselor that I, I love to read, David Powelson, he passed away a couple years ago. I'd recommend you get any books that he's written. He says this, that we can identify what the idols are in our hearts based on two questions. What are you afraid of the most and what do you love the most? And if you look at this passage in verse 20 that we read, it said Herod feared John. But then later on, what happens in this story? Uh, Salome, there's a YouTube, YouTube song about Salome. I don't know if you guys know the song. But Salome is dancing, and he makes this foolish promise to her, I'll give you half of my kingdom, and he does it in front of all of these friends of his, all these powerful people. And Herodias, the mother of Salome, says to her, ask for the head of John the Baptist. And look what it says in verse 26. It says, And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. So you may think that Herod's big idol is women, right? That he lusted after Herodias and just wanted her. But I think the story here tells us, well, that wasn't really it. There was something deeper that he was afraid of. He, wasn't, he was not afraid of her enough that he would not cut John the Baptist's head off when she demanded it. But what was he afraid of? More than he was afraid of John the Baptist. He was afraid that the people at his party, the powerful people around him, would think that he wasn't as powerful as he was showing himself to be. He was afraid that the mask of power and influence that he had would be exposed and that he would be seen as being weak. So the heart idol that Herod had was the fear of man. Here's a man on top of the world. He is on top of the high, the, he gave answer to nobody but Caesar and Rome. He had made it to the top, yet he was afraid of everyone else below him. This is the way idols work. Whatever we're most afraid of is that thing that controls us. So if you're afraid, well, I was talking to a college student a friend of ours this week, and he said that he was afraid to talk to his friends about Jesus, and somebody asked him, why are you afraid? And he had to think about it, and he says, well, I'm afraid that they will laugh at me, and then they won't want to be my friend. Well, why are you afraid of that? He said, well, I'm afraid I won't have friends. Why are you afraid of not having friends? Well, I'm afraid of being alone. And in the end, really, he's not, we, we, we see a surface thing, okay, I'm afraid to talk about Jesus to people. Below that, there's a fear, and the fear was he's afraid of being alone. Well, there's a other side to that coin. Then what is it that you love? Well, I love whatever that is instead of God and his presence. I love the presence and the comfort that other people bring me by them being there with me. So if we want to be spiritually decisive people, 
first of all, we have to embrace these moments of spiritual indecision and thank God for them because he's speaking to us. But secondly, we have to get down below into what it is we're really afraid of and what it is we really love more than God that's keeping us from following God's word in this situation. Um, so, we, can, we are actually, we think of ourselves as powerful, we think of ourselves as rich, but the person who's afraid of being poor is a pawn to money, and he is a pawn to his riches. The person that might be love power, well really, they're a pawn or they are easily manipulated by the people who give them power. Or you might say the person, it's a girl that I love. Well, what is it about the girl or the guy that you love that you think is that you love more than anything or that you're afraid of losing more than anything? Um, this thing or this person is the thing that's in charge and controlling you. It's not God. So to find spiritual decisiveness, we have to understand what is the thing that we're most afraid of. What Herod was not most afraid of was being separated from God forever. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Seek peace with all men in holiness, without which no man can see God. So if Herod understood the holiness of God, he would realize what John is saying to me may save my soul so that I can see and, be, and know God. But instead, he feared the people at his party more than he feared separation forever from God. So the third thing, how we, can be more, how we can be decisive in these moments, sometimes there are Herodias's in our lives that we have to break the yoke with. So Herod was yoked to Herodias, this new woman, who had no conscience toward God. And as long as he stayed with her, she was going to find a way to pull him toward the old worldview. And she was going to find some tactic she can use to make him go her way. Um, yoking yourself with somebody that is completely insensitive to the word of God will mean that eventually your heart will also be hardened to the word of God. That's why for those of you who are not married yet, uh, even children, you should start praying right now. Lord, give me a spouse. Number one thing, not how good looking they are, which I think is in our culture, number one. But the number one thing, how sensitive is this person to the Spirit of God? How sensitive are they to sin and to repenting of sin? If you find somebody who is sensitive to God's Word and who loves the Lord and who wants to follow Him in holiness, you found somebody you want to latch yourself with. Because you can serve God with that person. They will help you grow toward holiness. I'm not encouraging divorce, but Herod should have separated and divorced from Herodias. It was an illegal, unlawful, God-dishonoring marriage. The fourth thing is, don't delay. The opportunity won't last forever. Do not think, if you are going through a period of spiritual indecisiveness in your life right now, do not think that that will last forever. In fact, if you do not decide someone will decide for you. Someone with other priorities that aren't God in your life will decide for you, given enough time. And your heart will not always be as sensitive as, as it is today. So do not delay. So I want to give that warning to, the, to those that may be hard-hearted. Do not think that you will be 
have another chance tomorrow. You may say, but I love this particular thing. What does the gospel have to do with calling out sin? Why does the gospel of Mark include the story that doesn't seem like it's about grace? It seems like it's about Old Testament law, right? John the Baptist is saying it's unlawful for Herod to have this woman Herodias. Why doesn't John just focus on preaching about Jesus? Because that's the message of the New Testament, right? And shouldn't the gospel be the only message of the church? And do we really need to talk about specific sins and even get ourselves outspoken about the sins of politicians? Shouldn't we just focus on uh, preaching the good news of Jesus? Well, the good news of Jesus is that he came to save us from sin, not save us so that we can continue in sin. So it's very possible that you are loving something right now that is an idol in your life that is opposed to Jesus, and you cannot love Jesus and that thing. I remember when I was in high school, I was trying to share Jesus with this guy, and he was coming to our church, and he asked me this question. He said, can I become a Christian and also smoke? Because he liked to smoke cigarettes. Now, at that time, um, smoking cigarettes, you know, was a very common thing that it, this is thought of as a sin. Now, whether it's a sin in the Bible can be your decision. Obviously, the Bible doesn't talk about cigarettes. They didn't have cigarettes or tobacco at that time. So he said, can I follow Jesus and smoke? And I thought about that, and I thought, well, and I was, I was 16, 17 at that time, and I said, well, uh, I suppose you can, because all you have to do really is say this prayer to receive Jesus, and then you become a Christian. But what I didn't really understand that this young man was asking me is, can I be saved from hell, but enjoy everything that I want to enjoy in my own sin along the way? That was really the question he was asking. And I only know that because I know him. If you smoke and you're saying, are you saying that goes for everybody who smokes? No, I'm saying this guy, this was his question. So. You cannot know God and hold on and love your sin. You have to let go of sin in order to repent and turn to Jesus. So how do we become decisive? Now, I want to give, I gave a warning to the hard-hearted, but I want to give a comfort to the sensitive. Some of you have such sensitive souls that you're afraid, possibly, that you're like Herod and that you are possibly... Um, you know, in this danger of being rejected forever by God. The reality is Herod was given this moment of spiritual indecisiveness that did not last forever. It was the same Herod that Jesus stood before when he was being put on trial. You remember Pilate was, was questioning Jesus. He found out that he's from Galilee, and he said, oh, I'm going to send him to the king of the Galileans, Herod. That way, Herod can deal with this problem. He sent him to Herod, and what did Jesus say to Herod? Nothing. When the very word of God made flesh stood in front of Herod, and Herod, Herod was given no second chances. He was not spoken to again by God because he had this moment, and he hardened his heart, cut off the head of the prophet, and was never given a chance again. If you are sensitive to God's word, then the opposite is happening. Rather than being given less and less light, you are being given more and more. And so as you turn to God and receive him each time, he gives you more and more light. You think about 
what needed to happen in Herod's life for him to turn to God. All he had to do was being confronted with this one thing. And there may be that one thing in your life that God is confronting you with and asking you to leave and forsake. So that brings us to the third point then. What are the limitations of the power of decision? I grew up in a community that called for decisions every Sunday. So every Sunday after the sermon, maybe you grew up in a church like this, there would be an invitation and you could come forward and you could kneel down and you could make a decision and you could sign this card and the card had many different kinds of decisions that you could make. Some of that sort of way of relating to God has been called decisionalism, that we come to God through our decisions. So we make a decision to believe on Jesus, then we make a decision to actually be a disciple of Jesus, then we make a decision to rededicate our lives to Jesus, and we just have this whole different row of decisions. What though, there are real limits to the power of our decisions. You, first of all, is you can't trust your, your power to decide. If you have ever tried to decide to do something, and you found that the decision lasts too long and the temptations are too strong for you to maintain that decision and you fail and you fail and you fail. And if you hear people talking about decisions afterwards, then you're like burnt out on it and you're like, I've tried decisions and I've tried and I've said, I'm gonna follow God and I'm going to read God's word and I'm going to be serious about this thing and then I failed and then I quit and then and I just keep doing this over and over. Because the reality is that the power in our decisions is very limited. And so here is what Herod needed. Here, if we don't find the real power to follow God in our decisions, because this is like, for me this was torture as a small child. From the time I was probably eight to the time I was 12, I made a decision every Sunday and ask God, would you please save me because I don't know if I'm saved yet. I don't know if my decision is strong enough yet because I was trusting in the power of my decision. Here is what the answer is, I think, in this, what we're seeing in God's word. What is the power to actually make decision, to be a decisive person? And the answer is found at the beginning of our passage. Look in verse 14, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. The whole point of this passage, it's not really about Herod, and it's not really about Herod's decision. The point of this passage is about the identity of the Messiah. Look what it says. Some said, Jesus is John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, that is why these miracles and powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Now Herod obviously was unaware that, Herod, or that Jesus and John the Baptist were only six months apart in age, and that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. So he lacked a little bit of historical understanding of what was going on. But the whole point of this passage is the identity of Jesus. The very beginning of the Gospel of Mark, the first sentence, we go back to it every week. What does it say? The Gospel of Jesus Christ, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
So what is Mark trying to, te to tell us here? Every encounter, whether with the rich or powerful or with the sick and the lame, with the, de the demoniac or with Jairus that we heard about two weeks ago, or whether it was Jesus' own family that um, Pastor Peter, who was here with us last week, preached about, the whole question is, who is this Jesus? What is his identity? Herod could not see beyond his fear of John to see who the Messiah was. When he heard about who the Messiah was, he only remembered cutting off John's head, and that day terrorized him. In his sleep, in his dreams, he saw the beheaded, the head, the what would you say, the bodiless head of John that he had cut off. So when he heard about Jesus, he said, surely this is John the Baptist coming back to haunt me. So what was the real power? What's the power of, could have been the power of Herod's decision, and what could be the power, what must be the, the only power that has staying power in your life and my life? Well, if Herod, when he had this moment and John the Baptist was standing in front of him, if he would have listened to John, he would have heard what John's message was about. And I can quote for you a couple things that John said. John chapter 1, when John the Baptist saw Jesus, what were his words? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Later in John chapter 3, John heard about Jesus coming, and his disciples told him about Jesus' preaching in Galilee, and he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. And some of you may have heard that Jesus was just another prophet, but the prophet John, or we could call him Yahya, clearly said, I must decrease. I'm a prophet, but I must decrease so that the Messiah can increase. Because John was not pointing to himself, he was pointing to the Messiah. So the power for you and me to really change and see spiritual growth in our lives is not in our power of ourselves to believe or to have strong faith or to have decisions that stick. The real power to see this change is to do what John said and behold the Lamb of God. Now, some of you, especially the younger ones among us, idolized certain people, and that's what Herod was doing. He idolized John, this, this prophet. We have three more times for that to happen. It happens five times in every service. So we idolize somebody in our lives, okay, right? And it might be a mom or a dad when you're young, and you see this person as being really uh, an example to you, or it might be a specific preacher or a pastor or a missionary, but if you've ever noticed this happening, if you've ever read a biography of somebody that's very impressive, and of all people that have ever lived, John was impressive. Jesus himself said he is the best of men that have ever lived. If you ever read a biography, if you're like me, I get discouraged when I read biographies. I remember years ago in my early 20s, I was reading Samuel Weimer's biography, and I loved it. I just, but 10 years after that, I was totally destroyed by it, because I had not lived up to the person that Samuel Weimer was. I'm reading Tim Keller's biography right now. I'm experiencing enthusiasm and just soul-crushing disappointment in myself at the same moment. I don't know if you've experienced this. If you have heroes in your life, 
Those heroes do not have the power of you looking at them to transform you. They only make you feel like a failure. If you look to them for your hope and for your improvement, imagine the chasm between Herod and John the Baptist. John the Baptist grew up in a godly home. His father was a priest and was a godly man, and his mother Elizabeth similarly had visions of angels who spoke to her, and John understood godliness is a real thing, and God's revelation to us is real, and he preached without a love for money and without a love for power from the time he was young. So John the Baptist was an amazing prophet. Herod grew up in a palace full of the most wicked debauchery you've ever heard of, right? And his family was absolutely messed up. But what was it that Herod needed to do? Did he need to become John the Baptist? Was that the hope for him? Sometimes we look at very godly people or very spiritual people say, I can never be that person, so I'm discouraged and I, I'm just not going to try. But that's not what Herod was being called to do. Herod had one thing to do, right? To stop this unlawful, godless marriage that he had just got into. That was the one decision. He had to take that one step toward God was the only thing that was being asked of him. So what was his power to do that? All he could see was John the Baptist, but what he needed to see is who John the Baptist was pointing to, who was the Messiah. Jesus. Now you wonder, and this is a very good question, how is the Messiah, the Son of God, who we call Jesus, how is he any different from any other prophet? How is he any different from any other man? And how does looking to him give you any sort of spiritual power that can actually sustain you through life? And here is what I want to share with you. Um, if you've ever if you've never read a book called Pilgrim's Progress, I want to encourage you to do it. Um, John Bunyan wrote this almost 400 years ago. And he wrote about this man who left the city of destruction. And he was encouraged by a man named Evangelist to leave this city. And it's, a, it's an allegory. It's not a real story. But it's an allegory of what the Christian life is like. And as he left the city of destruction, Evangelist kept pointing him. He said, look for the Lord of the country, is what he called him, the Lord of the country. And he said, you need to follow this path. And he said, this path is going to lead you to a tree. And that tree is where you're going to see hope. So Christian left the city of destruction. He went through some perils and some difficulties. And eventually he came to this spot in the road. And the whole time he was carrying this burden of sin. And Herod was carrying a burden of sin. And you and I have carried our, in our lives a burden of sin. And this burden could not be helped out by anybody else. Listen to what John Bunyan wrote. He said, The burdened Christian ran up this way with great difficulty because of the load on his back. He ran like this until he came to a place where the road climbed up a small hill. At the top of the hill stood a cross. And a little below at the bottom was a stone tomb. In my dream, just as Christian came up to the cross, his burden loosened from his shoulders and fell off his back. It tumbled and continued to do so down the hill until it came to the mouth of the tomb where it fell inside and was seen no more. Christian was so glad and overjoyed in his excitement, he said, he has given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. 
He stood still for a while and looked with astonishment at the cross. It surprised him that the sight of the cross released him of his burden. He looked and looked again as tears ran down his cheeks. Now as he stood looking and weeping, behold, three shining ones approached him and greeted him with peace be to thee. The first of the shining ones said to him, your sins are forgiven. The second stripped Christian of his rags and clothed him with a complete change of clothes. The third placed a mark on Christian's forehead and gave him a scroll and with a seal upon it. The third shining one said, look on this as you run and deliver it when you arrive at the gate of the celestial city. With that, the shining ones went their way. Christian jumped for joy, leaping into the air three times and went on his way singing. I want you to listen to Christian's song. Thus far did I come burdened with my sin. No one could ease the grief that I was in until I came here. What a place this is. Is this place the beginning of my blessedness? Is this the place the burden fell from my back? Is this the place where the strings that bound it to me broke? Blessed cross, blessed sepulcher, blessed rather be the man who there was put to shame for me. What Christian was realizing is by looking at the person of Jesus and looking at the cross, he saw what no man could do for him. He saw what John had said when he said, Behold the Lamb of God. What is it about the Messiah that is so unique among all the prophets and among all of our heroes that tell us that none of our heroes can save us, none of our prophets, all religions of the world offer to us examples, good men that we could follow, good people that lived good lives, but none of those examples can save. In fact, it is only in the Lamb that Jesus was that John said, the Lamb of God who can take away the sin of the world. There's something about a lamb that's different. The lamb was the king. If Herod were to submit himself to this king in this one matter, this king would give him more light so that he could follow him. But beyond that, the lamb is the sacrifice. The lamb is that blood spilt on behalf of Herod and on behalf of everyone who will believe on him. He is the redeemer. He is the one who can redeem our lives from the waste that we've made of it. Now, we can't look at any of our heroes and find a redeemer. We can only find these examples that we can't quite attain to their level. But when we look to Jesus, the story about Christian, he said he looked to him, and there he found rest. So, in conclusion, if you're indecisive and you found yourself in an indecisive moment where you've not decided to totally give your heart to Jesus, let me give you a warning, that won't last forever. Today, you can decide. But here's how the power will happen. Look to Jesus. Choose him. Look to the cross that was given for you. Um, so where do you find the power? In the cross, in the work of the cross, but in an empty tomb that he rose again for us. We're going to sing a song, uh, if, if you bring it up for us. We're going to sing a song together. We're going to go directly into the song without any further comments. Give me Jesus. And if you, if you find yourself, you know, and I, 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 find, I think this happens often to our, with our young people. If you're a college student, high school student, you're a child, and you find yourself, I'm not sure if I really 
completely have given myself to Jesus. This song is for you. And now can be a moment to say, Lord, I want you. I want to follow Jesus. And this is the way also to Christian growth. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that um, you've given us not just an example, but you've given us a savior. And that you and your grace could even save Herod. And that there is nobody sitting in this room today who is so bad and so far from John the Baptist's good example that you could not save them. I pray if there's anybody here who thinks, I don't know if I'm savable, I don't know if I'm good enough, that they would leave their goodness and look to Jesus. Thank you for the Messiah, the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. In Jesus' name.